sequel going? Sequel sucks. Bullshit generalization. Many sequels have surpassed their original. Oh, yeah? Name one. I'll be back. Why won't you die? Prime, you can't die. Can reboot, damn it. Reboot complete. Thank you very much. Movies. Never say die. Welcome to Movies Never Say Die, a podcast with a singular focus, movies that are reboots, reimaginings, or sequels to other films. I'm Justin St. Ange. And I'm Matthew Grant. This is episode number 15. On this episode of Movies Never Say Die, we take a look at Bumblebee. But first, here's a look at official announcements, rumors, and hearsay for upcoming reboots in our opening segment, In the Pipeline. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Pipeline. Pipeline. All right, and to kick off the pipeline, we got a bunch of uh, news here about COVID-19 related shooting delays and release delays for pretty much every movie that was planned to come out this year. First up, Jurassic World Dominion. I gotta admit, I don't think I saw... The last one, the second one of this trilogy, um, but I did see Jurassic World, the first one, so not entirely. I don't know. It was okay. Have you? Are you up to date with these the new Jurassic uh, movies? I haven't seen any of the Jurassic World movies, so I've I've seen neither okay. Jurassic World or Fallen Kingdom. So yeah, what what did you think? Of the, you said the first one was just okay. Was it not? Uh... Yeah, it's it's just okay. I mean, I think when they were when they were, when they were talking about doing these movies, you and I, I'm not sure the podcast was up by then, but we we discussed how what really they could do that would make it substantially different from the story of the original. <laughs> you know, they create a park with dinosaurs, something goes wrong, and they you know people die and they try to escape. It's it's pretty much that. <laughs> I mean, I guess people keep going to see them, so that's. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's how uh, reboots and sequels get made, I guess. That's it. We keep get going greenlit. to see them. Obviously, you haven't seen any of them, but after seeing the first one, I have no real urge to go. They can delay this one as much as they want. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, at the very least, you know, it'll it'll give me time to catch up and watch the first two. Although, I mean, this the third one sounds interesting. It sounds like they're blending the casts from the original series uh sam neill jeff goldblum laura dern with uh bryce dallas howard and chris pratt so that could be at least something different at least something that's different than what they did in the first two films in this new trilogy so yeah that would be cool that might get me to watch it i feel like the last one what was the last one called fallen kingdom i think they said that jeff goldblum was in it but that after the movie released you know they people had said that he was like a small cameo or something. And I think he's also coming back maybe for a larger part in this one. So maybe, maybe it'll be more interesting. (laughs) And I got to watch him, I guess. (laughs) The next delay we're going to get to is Shazam two movie that I think was supposed to be released in April of 2022, but they push it back a few months till November now, obviously due to, the coronavirus, COVID nineteen. Have you seen the first one? I haven't seen the first one, no. But I, it, it didn't look like something that would grab me necessarily. But seemed to be one of the more successful 
DC outings along the lines of a Wonder Woman more so than a uh, Batman versus Superman kind of situation. Did you see did you see the first one or no? I did not. Yeah, it didn't really strike me either. But I think you're right. It, it was kind of there with Wonder Woman and uh, maybe also Aquaman in terms of success at the box office and and critically, <laughs> not quite like you know Batman versus Superman and stuff like that. Uh, that did well, but had a lot of a lot of criticism for them. But I didn't. Yeah, it's a character I only know very little about. It seemed to be too goofy for me. Like I, one of my complaints that I had about. Zack Snyder's Superman was just that it was a little bit too dark for where I think Superman should be. And yet I feel like this movie kind of moved to the other side of the spectrum being too goofy. It's kind of some people's complaints about I don't I don't remember if you said that about Thor Ragnarok where you thought that it was a little too light, a little too comedy focused to really fit Thor's character and so it's I, I did say that about Thor Ragnarok and I agree they were this one seems a lot more goofy, funny. Uh, I have no idea if that's the character's um, personality or the way the comic books were for this character. I guess being such an old character, it probably had some goofy stuff. But yeah, well, the only thing I will say is that I believe um, The Rock is supposed to play this character called Black Adam oh, yeah, in future yeah. movies. And that, I think that's part of this uh, Shazam, Black Adam, or in the same... I mean, not just DC Universe, but actual villain or, you know, protagonist, antagonist in the same comic books. So that might be interesting. It's like maybe have some kind of other crossover similar to what they did with Batman versus Superman, except successfully. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's always weird to call movies like that unsuccessful when they make like a billion dollars. But, you know, that's, yeah. <laughs> it's, that's yeah, it's it's def- it definitely feels weird to to log them in that category and it's like, Oh, they only made a billion dollars. But yeah, I guess that's what you get when you, you can pretty much make a movie about Superman or Batman and that's what DC has for them. Pretty much <laughs> like the movies are not, are not always great, but technically in the hierarchy of comic book characters, I mean, it's, it's tough to beat those two. True. Very true. That's why we keep going back to them. And we'll also get uh, you know, Wonder Woman. Uh, I don't think we're, totally getting into it today but um wonder woman also a movie that will be released some point this year yeah i think they're holding fast i think they they did shift it to later in the year but they as far as we know are still holding to at least sometime in 2020 depending on how things play out during the summertime so we'll i guess kind of adjust as uh as things move along here we don't really know <laughs> a lot of uncertainty and so it'll be interesting to see whether that actually hits its release date, but they seem to be holding fast. There was some rumors that they were maybe going to go direct to video with it, but I, I can't imagine they would do that just because it was so big. Yeah, that would be huge if they did that. But uh, I agree, they probably probably will do a combination or like you know release and then quickly to to video or something like that. Yeah, it seems to be the smarter way to go. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on the model because Trolls World Tour seems to do pretty well going direct to video, you know, whereas some other movies they're hoping to just kind of close up the window between theatrical release and digital. I still like going to see movies in a theater though. <laughs> oh, totally. I can't wait till we can all, although even when they open up, even if they open up like next month, I don't know how long it'll be before I actually want to go and sit in the crowd. theater. For like- oh yeah. No, I've, I have no interest in doing that next month. Absolutely not. <laughs> 
I keep saying that. I keep saying that I miss concerts and I miss movies and I miss large gatherings. And then the second I see some kind of protest where they're like, open them now. I'm just like, well, I wouldn't go <laughs> just yet. I'd even really like going to the grocery store with a mask on with 10 feet between me and the people next to me, let alone pressed up against people. 2020 is just a wash. <laughs> just have but, to, yeah. It's 2020. It's we're just striking it from the books. Because at the beginning of this, I think I got a a couple of notifications from, I think, AMC or something like that that said, we're still open, but we're going to only fill theaters, you know, like half half full. We're only going to sell half tickets, and so there'll, all, there'll be like one space in between you and anyone else. And then it was, the, I think that lasted like a week, and then they just say, all right, we're shutting down. Yeah, that was that's pretty much the same thing on bars and restaurants up here where it was, you know, we're cutting capacity in half, and it's like, all right, well, now instead of 100 people in the bar, you got 50 people in the bar, but... That only lasted, like you said, about a week, and now we are where we are. Yeah, you stay up there in Connecticut. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the last time, have any uh, grocery stores near you tried to enforce like the the one way aisles? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Target grocery stores, Home Depot, everything up here has the, the arrows in the floor, and they've got people at the entrances with the counters keeping track of how many people are in the store and stuff. There's where was it? We, I went to. Cumberland Farms near where I work and they even though these like little five foot aisles they still have the arrows on these tiny little aisles that they have in the stores yeah we did that one time and there's still people you know going back and forth and so irritating now there's no I and it's the simplest thing too it's it's really just so I guess. Simple. can you imagine that's your job is to be like sir there's an arrow on the floor you're going the wrong way <laughs> I can't imagine the the shit that a grocery store worker would get if they tried to enforce something like that. Oh, God. And since we touched on Batman vs. Superman, let's get into the upcoming The Batman movie, the next in the endless line of Batman movies that we will be getting for the next hundred years. (laughs) (laughs) God forbid we go a year or two without them. We wouldn't want that. Yeah. And I say this as someone who loves Batman. Absolutely, me too. But we will be getting a new take on Batman with Robert Pattinson as the uh, titular character. And we got, I believe they're also in delays and I'm not sure, is there, did they change the release date? I'm totally... I guess it got pushed back a little bit. So it was supposed to be June 2021 and it's moved to October 2021, so... Okay. But in the meantime, we did get a couple of, well, not set, yes, some set photos and some promotional photos that they released about... uh, production did you see all of those yeah i think there was one official video that they released with a glimpse of the new batsu and a tiny bit of music and then there was some i guess like i don't know if you'd call them spy shots but you know fans taking photos of them shooting a couple scenes and they got some close-up daytime looks at the new batsu and I don't know what it, what did you what did you think of what we've seen of this bat suit so far? <laughs> well, it looks well according to you know what they're saying is that this is going to be basically the second year or so that he is Batman the character, um, and so we're obviously seeing kind of not very polished, I guess you could say his suit and obviously his his I guess they're going to call it the Batmobile, but it's essentially a tricked out car you can see that it's a normal car with the, you know a bunch of add-ons to it to make it look like a superhero would be driving around in it but 
I don't know. I mean, it looks it looks okay. Some people have speculated that the Batman logo looks like it was made out of parts of a gun, which is interesting, and that led to some people thinking that it was like the gun that was used to kill his parents or something. I don't know if it's stuff like that, but we're not supposed to be getting a an origin story here, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how they jump into the character. But it, it looks okay. I'm not super excited for another Batman movie, but other than that, it's it's fine. Yeah, I'm really kind of bummed out we didn't get a chance to see Ben Affleck in, in in a solo Bat film of some kind, just because I was one of my favorite parts of Justice League and Batman versus Superman was the portrayal of Batman, and would have been nice to see what they had planned, especially since I think he's generally a pretty good filmmaker, and would have been nice to see his take on it as a writer director, but. Now we have this one, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it, it it does kind of suck that he couldn't just keep it going. We didn't even get one Affleck Batman solo movie, and it just it just accelerated the you know the reboot process of the character, and then just uh, keep an eye out on some sixteen year old actor because in about ten years he's going to be the new Batman. <laughs> They'll start speculating even before Pattinson's done about who'll be the next Batman after Pattinson. <laughs> there are lots of you know breaks in between the movies, but in terms of number of people that have played the character, like Batman, Spider-Man, there those two are the ones that just like it's a little the crazy. studios just can't can't not have a Spider-Man or a Batman movie. Yeah, I think the largest gap was when the Schumacher movies kind of failed, and then they had that huge gap before Batman Begins, and I don't think we need that kind right. of gap, but I'd like to take a couple years off. Just to... I mean, especially since Batman vs. Superman and Justin League weren't huge successes in terms of critical response. Like, they just couldn't, couldn't take a break. And there are other... I think I've mentioned this before. There are other Batman stories to tell. There's not only Bruce Wayne. There's, you know... Batman Beyond, I think, is a character and stuff like that that people like. And we still haven't gotten a really good take on Robin. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Who also eventually turns into a kind of a cool character in, in Nightwing and stuff like that, but we're never going to get that. Don't go too far off the beaten path, Justin. You're crazy. I know. We got to get... If this one is not good or fails, we will absolutely be getting a full-on Batman or origin story again soon. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Up next in the pipeline, just received word that a new version of Stephen King's Salem's Lot is being developed. I'm kind of excited about a new Salem's Lot just because I really liked the book. I really liked vampires and what Stephen King did with vampires, and I thought the 80s movie was kind of hokey. They tried to do a hokey semi-remake a few years back, and it was also pretty crappy, and so... I'm excited to see it. Not a lot being talked about at the moment, but that's just, just that they're developing it, and... I'm happy to see this film. What about you, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> I know you're a huge horror and Stephen King fan, obviously. I mean, I I guess huge may not be the right word, but I do enjoy <laughs> it for sure. And that's not, yeah, I mean, that sounded snarky, but I do enjoy Stephen King and horror movies uh, when it, you know, when it hits me right, I guess uh, you could say. And I actually, I do love vampires, so that that kind of hits me in the right spot in my wheelhouse if you want so it does look here that tnt did have a new version of salem's lot starring rob lowe in 2004 oh that's what i was thinking so of, that's, yeah. that's the one you remember i didn't recall that at all you shouldn't i did <laughs> it says it was nom- nominated for a primetime emmy i don't know what kind of what 
don't know what, what the hell award that about. was, but uh, uh, most <laughs> underwhelming film. <laughs> so yeah, I did not see that this was coming, but like you said, if if there's a Stephen King work that's relatively liked, it's it's coming down the pipeline at some point for a two-year film. But yeah, barring any you know casting or crew type hirings, I will look forward to this until something happens which makes me not want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> And then another 80s movie that's making a comeback. It seems Labyrinth will be getting a sequel, finally. They've been talking about this for years and years and years, but we got some kind of... I guess the script is done, is what I've, I've read, by Fede... I'm, I'm always going to pronounce his first name wrong. Fede Alvarez. Um, <laughs> but kind of exciting news. I'm not sure. I I don't know where they would go with this, but what what what, <laughs> what did you think when you heard about this? I think in theory I'm excited because... Of the nostalgia of the first film, I loved Labyrinth. I thought it was a great film. I think anything Jim Henson and puppet related is pretty awesome because I'm a huge dork. But the key piece of this missing, obviously, David Bowie having passed away, you'd either have to commit travesty by recasting the Goblin King or have some other character taking his place or have an entirely different story entirely if you want to follow Jennifer Connelly's character or her little brother's character or whatever you do you know once he's grown up or something you'd have to something I mean you'd have to address it somehow unless you completely revamped it entirely and so that's that's what gives me pause I think a lot of the magic of the first one was David Bowie and his character and the whole goblin world and so I'm, I'm excited in theory but having lost such a crucial part of what made the first one what it was i'm i'm hesitant to get too excited but what do you think of that hole left in the <laughs> in the story of labyrinth yeah i just i don't think you can do it without without david bowie uh, it seems like here in the timeline that someone was hired to write the script in early 2016 i believe david bowie passed away at some point in 2016 so maybe they were trying to do this but Obviously, they cannot bring him back as the Goblin King, but then that would make me say, "Why do it anyway? Why do it now?" I don't, I don't know. And to to your point about Jim Henson and and stuff like that, if they do practical creatures, that would be fantastic. But I can't imagine anyone stepping into that role, and I can't imagine a sequel that doesn't include the Goblin King. So you know, did you see the Dark Crystal series on Netflix or no? I have not yet. That's you know, that's on my long list of things I want to see but have not gotten into yet. Yeah, same here. I haven't watched it yet. And so that's kind of the same situation where you make a... You revisit something that was 30 years ago and have to kind of work around the fact. I mean, in that case, I think they were all puppets in that. And so they're it's really yeah. easy to recast if you're using any of the same characters. But in this case, yeah, I don't... Uh, I'm not feeling a Labyrinth sequel. I'm not feeling it. Yeah, I can do without it. I'll just watch my DVD of the original and be perfectly happy. <laughs> there you go. Speaking of unnecessary remakes, Hollywood Reporter is saying that Disney is planning on remaking Robin Hood, a la The Lion King, with anthropomorphic animals playing the Robin Hood characters. They're saying it will be a musical. Yeah, I don't, I don't need this movie to be a thing. I mean, this sounds like something that they would kind of toss on Disney Plus 
kind of like they did with Lady and the Tramp, which I also felt was kind of unnecessary. But I haven't seen Robin Hood in many, many years. I liked it when I was a kid, enjoyed the songs, enjoyed seeing Robin Hood translated for kids. But I, I don't... I mean, plus, the story of Robin Hood has been revisited 800 million times from seemingly every point of view. I think the last one that came out focused on the Sheriff of Nottingham. So I don't know. What are you thinking about this, Justin? Yeah, I didn't I didn't see that this was not was coming, but you know, and we've talked about this before, we're probably going to get every Disney animated <laughs> movie in in some sort of live action slash anthropomorphic version. So, it's all about the cash for Disney. I mean, it's going to it's going to make money, no doubt, but you know, I I have no need for this. Um is it the most recent one or the one, the one coming out this year, Mulan? I think they went kind of an interesting way with that in that it's not going to be a musical. You know, they're not going to have any of those songs being sung. It seems like, you know, the score will take, you know, those songs and, and, and meld it in that way, which I think is a good take if you're going to do something like this, if you have to, if you have to do something <laughs> if like you this. Must. Disney, but um, yeah, I can, I can leave this. I can leave Robin. <laughs> and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much like you. 1973 that came out man i thought that was an 80s movie that's funny i didn't realize it was as old as it was yeah it's funny when you look back at these like disney's been doing it so long even even if you think to like snow white and stuff you know that that was was, like the first one and super old but you know you look back and it was like in the 30s or something like that yeah it's like holy crap (laughs) but they they can they can what the hell what's the phrase they can miss me with this one i don't need (laughs) robin hood (laughs) Trying to keep it uh, up to date for any millennials and Gen Zers that might be listening. <laughs> and finishing up with something that they can hit me with. Does that make any sense? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we got, <laughs> it's announced that officially that the Doctor Strange sequel, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, will be directed by Sam Raimi, someone that I don't know if we've gotten into this, but Matt and I certainly enjoy him and his movies very much. Absolutely. Also, one of those movies that will be getting a new uh, release date. I think it was, co- it was supposed to come out late th- in 2021, and I don't think they, they pushed it to early 2022. I think all this shuffling around, we're going to get like five or six Marvel movies in one in one year at some point here. I did think that I remember them mentioning that, yeah. Yeah, but super excited for, for Sam Raimi to be taking on not just another comic book movie again, but something like Doctor Strange, which seems like it it, it fits him. Who, who would have thought he would have been the first to do a Spider-Man movie? But uh, th- this this is kind of exciting. How about you? What do you think? I'm incredibly excited. I've loved Sam Raimi since his early grimy horror film days, and I thought he was such a great choice to do the first Spider-Man movie, and he really did a tremendous job with the first two. The third one, I think you and I have discussed one of the weaker entries, but I think part of that was him kind of being shoehorned into doing something he didn't want to do. Movie studio wanted him to introduce Venom. He didn't really understand or like the Venom character, and you could really feel that in that third movie. And I think something like Doctor Strange is something that, as you mentioned, is right in the world that he kind of fits into, that it it seems like a no-brainer to throw him in there. It seems like he hasn't actually directed anything for a while. Um, according to this, 2013 Oz the Great and Powerful was his last uh, last movie that he directed. So 
So we it's solid, maybe almost ten years in between uh, directorial releases for him when when Doctor Strange two comes out. <laughs> Apparently, he was the voice of the giant squirrel in the Jungle Book. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Sam Raimi was? That's what it says. Giant squirrel in the Jungle Book uh, 2016 Jungle Book movie. Now that is a strange and varied career. I guess he does kind of have a history of showing up in movies, either as small roles in other people's movies or cameos in his own films. Weird. <laughs> now I got to watch Jungle Book so I can hear him as a giant squirrel. I'd be curious. That'd be interesting to see if. Uh... We get Bruce Campbell in some role. <gasps> I didn't even think about that. Back to back to a Marvel movie with uh, and have Bruce Campbell make a cameo. It's true because he was in he was in the Spider Man movies, huh? Yeah. <sighs> they were like classmates or friends from Michigan or something like that. I can't remember. They they have a, a long history together. Yeah, I think so. Why did none of my classmates go on to become <laughs> super successful directors and? And put you in every movie. Out. <laughs> right. That's what you need. Super successful friend. That's what I'm, I keep. I keep waiting for you. Get, get on it, Justin. Right, right, right on that. Oh my god! What are you? So you have no idea where he came from? No idea. All right, that brings us to our main deal. event today. Today we're talking about Bumblebee, the sixth, I believe, film in this uh, live-action Transformers franchise. When we, We've talked about this previously on the podcast, and we didn't realize how long ago we had talked about this. So it came out in uh, December of 2018, and we we're just getting to it now, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we had talked about it as one of the earliest possibilities for an episode, and we just kept pushing it back and lose right. something else and we're finally getting around to it like in my mind it came out late last year and i just totally blew my mind that it was it was that old i mean i guess technically it was late december so i mean yeah i mean that a full year <laughs> yes I, I was thinking december 2019 and i just missed it but that's all right we got to it now and during the whole transformer movie thing do you think that they would do a solo movie like this for anyone no not at all that didn't seem to be something that was in the cards at all and i'm actually kind of glad that this is how they did it because as much as i appreciated the transformers movies under michael bay for what they were they were just these giant special effects extravaganzas that got increasingly dumber and longer as the movies went on. I, I kept waiting for them to, to, to have another voice, another writer director come in and, and have a go at transformers because, you know, in, in looking at the history of these movies, like I remember seeing the first movie and even though it was a little dumb and even though it was, you know, it had its Bayisms. I was still excited to see Transformers on the screen, live action, interacting with humans. And I like I was I mean, I've been a Transformers fan since I was a kid. The cartoons, the toys, the movie, and I was excited about it. And I like the first one was fine. I enjoyed it. 
But then as they were going on, it just seemed to get, you know, the answer for every one of these movies was more Transformers, bigger set pieces, more explosions, this crazy convoluted history where Transformers are tied into everything going back thousands of years and ancient time. Like, I didn't even watch last night and I only saw part of Age of Extinction, which was the last two movies. And... I mean, this is a very long way of me saying that I think this was exactly what this film series needed was to kind of take it back to basics, only have a handful of Transformers and really focus. It sounds corny because it's a Transformers movie, but like focus on the story, the writing, and make it an interesting film to actually watch and enjoy as opposed to just waiting for the next series of explosions to carry you to the next series of explosions, if that makes any sense, so... Yeah, I mean, what about you? Did you did you see this happening with a prequel of all things to kind of give it a soft reboot or No, and I think even when it was in pre-production, like when we first heard that it was happening, I think that was around the time or maybe right before the last movie was coming out, uh, last night, which well, I think pretty much all these movies made like a billion dollars or something like that. I think maybe last night didn't quite make it cuz it is pretty freaking horrible. <laughs> Oh, so you made it through last night? You watched last night? I think it's one of those movies that I put on on a plane or something like that, and I'm I'm not sure that I made it through, but I I saw enough that I I don't think I'll be trying to make it through. <laughs> but yeah, what I, what I think was happening was that they the series was still going to go on, and they were thinking Bumblebee was going to be a prequel slash spinoff. But I think somewhere along the process, they said. You know, they were kind of seeing where things were going with last night, and they kind of moved to a prequel slash soft reboot of the entire thing, right? Like we, I, w- I wonder if there were substantial changes at some point because of the horribleness of last night that they just wanted to to kind of start over, but use this as the avenue to do that. Because there's, there's, you know, there are similarities here between this one and the first Transformer movie. I think the character, uh, Haley Steinfeld's character, is a little bit older than uh, Shia LaBeouf's character. But, you know, young person finds, you know, beat-up old car. It happens to be Bumblebee. They become friends. And, you know, and and the friendship continues and, and all that stuff. But you're right in that this kind of, kind of pared down, like, you know, in comparison to the rest of Transformer movies. Like, essentially, there are only three besides the the opening scenes on Cybertron there are like three transformers in this movie in through the whole way um two of which are totally new characters right i don't think those two are actual transformers like the actual characters from the cartoon or anything like that yeah i think, I think they made i think you're right they made him up for this movie the for the trailer for this when it came out and they showed kind of the gen 1 look of transformers i was like super excited but i didn't know what to think about the rest of the movie but i'm pleasantly surprised it's actually quite enjoyable I, I liked it quite a lot getting ready for the podcast i was reading that that opening initially wasn't in the first test screenings the war on cybertron wasn't part of it they had just started off with that kind of similar to the way they started off the first series of films where bumblebee lands on the planet in the middle of that war exercise which is sector seven and it was after the test screenings that they added the opening and i mean i felt the same way you did i just seeing just that five minute opening sequence, the Gen One characters. I was like, I could watch a whole movie like this. I mean, oh my god, there's Soundwave, or no, Soundwave shows up later, but it's like you know, there's Shockwave, there's Shockwave. all these other characters that you've come to know, and there's Cybertron, and it's this big robot battle, and there isn't any 
god awful humor that and i thought that was the thing too is they balanced the humor with the action in this movie so much better than they did in the michael bay films like it was just yes like it was painful <laughs> and so and it was funny because I, I i rewatched part of the original michael bay movie after i watched bumblebee and i liked where it started like i liked that sam well shia labeouf's character was giving a speech in his class about his great grandfather and also simultaneously trying to sell his grandfather's, you know, various, uh, keepsakes like the glasses and maps and books and pictures and stuff to his class. And I thought like uh, what they were doing with the character was kind of funny and interesting. And then as the series progressed, it just, it completely lost sight of who he was and, where the sense of humor actually worked as opposed to where it fell flat and where it was just so just painfully awkward. Some of the humor and a lot of that I think has to do with the writing. Like if you look at how they went through with this film series, like it started off with the writing team of Kurtzman and Orchie and they, they, they claim that they were fans of the Transformers series, but seeing what they ended up with, I can't imagine that they actually watch a show. And I'm sure there was pressure once they, you know, I was reading that at a certain point, I can't remember which movie it was. One of the films fell into the trap of the the writer's strike when that had happened in Hollywood. And so after the strike was over, Michael Bay said that he locked Orchie Kurtzman and the third writer, Aaron Kruger, in a hotel room and just had them write it. I guess it was Revenge of the Fallen and basically stuck them in hotel rooms and forced them to like write the script and put it together, and then after that, the writing team left, and you ended up with Aaron Kruger writing the last few. Actually, did he do last night also? Actually, he didn't do last night. He was off by last night, but... Just Good for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I could see why they wanted to try and do something different so it wasn't just robots battling each other, but at a certain point, I mean, it was uninteresting to watch. You couldn't keep track of what was going on. And I think that's one of the things about Bumblebee that was nice, is you had... One writer working with one director who had a very strong vision and a strong background in animation. This was his first live-action film, Travis Knight. And you kind of get something that's a little bit more purely what Transformers was coming to the film where it made a lot more sense than what Michael Bay was trying to do with whatever the hell he had going on. (laughs) I think there's an old interview with michael bay before all the transformer stuff where he's talking about how he goes about directing movies and with the writers and he i forget the exact quote but he would tell the writers just whenever there's an action scene don't give any details or whatever just say and this is where the action starts and then i'll take care of it <laughs> i feel like that's kind of where the transformers movies just like each continuum was basically the writers wrote a couple lines of of, of script and just and then it was just like an hour and a half of Michael Bay saying, I'll take care of it. <laughs> and most of those dialogue lines was Shia LaBeouf shouting Optimus. That's that's pretty much what you get. Right. And she gets kind of a lot of crap for her performances in it, but Megan Fox, once she, depending on what you read, once she left slash once she was pushed out of the franchise is kind of where it took a huge nosedive. Uh, she was she was a part of that kind of good chemistry with Shia in the first two, at least. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, and they really just ended up replacing her with Rosie Huntington Whiteley, who was just a model and who's I mean, she was basically just something to look at. And at yeah. least at least Megan Fox had the attitude and at least some acting chops to keep up with what was going on and 
like I get the idea of what he was trying to do, and I get the idea that the humans were just kind of a backdrop in this huge robot war. But in that case, he should have just scaled back more and made the robot battles more interesting. Or at some point, I can't believe at some point he didn't just say, "Well, we're just going to have a movie set on Cybertron at some point with no humans." But he always felt the need to bring that into it, and I and I absolutely agree. Once Megan Fox left. Uh, did she ever come back? Did she come back for any of the later ones or no? I don't think she ever did. I don't think so. I think she was in the first two and, and that was it. There there was, you know, some sort of falling out with Michael Bay at some point, I believe, and I, I think that was part of it. But yeah, I think it was just those two. We thought at some point we were going to get more stuff on Cybertron, but then they just kept adding more stuff on Earth and not just more Transformers on Earth, but more like somehow the Transformers have been here for thousands of years for some reason, you know, like they're, you know. <laughs> Um, before the events of the first one, even when we when we learned that Megatron was you know stuck in the ice for you know however long that was, but it just got so much and too stupid. Like like the Dinobots were here the whole t- the whole premise of Transformers is that the you know the Autobots are refugees and they come you know come to Earth and you know they take the form of things here on Earth and and they're. They haven't been living here for thousands of years. No, and I I completely agree with you. And having I haven't even seen the last night, but I was I tried to read up on it to prepare for the episode. And just reading what they had going on in this episode, I mean, it starts in 484 AD with King Arthur and his knights, and Merlin is in it. And there's, I mean, it's it's just it's so. And I'm all for trying to do things differently. I'm all for having, you know, trying to think outside the box and do something different when you have sequels to movies and where it goes on. But, you know, (laughs) like you mentioned, I think in the last episode, was the last episode you were saying that you'd basically follow these characters until they went into space. (laughs) And that's when things get... Oh, the Fast and Furious? Yeah, you're like, I'll follow these guys until they go to space. Like that's, there's a certain point where it's just like... Like, it's, it's just so much. Like, I can't, I don't even know. Like, I can't, I cannot imagine the process by which you'd end up with just, I mean, even not even having seen the last night. I mean, I, I started watching Age of Extinction. I got like 15, 20 minutes into it and I could not finish this movie. And last night I didn't even go near because even the trailers looked awful. And I mean, yeah, it's just, it's. The whole, the whole the series as a whole, I just every time he said he was going to leave the series, I was really hoping that Michael Bay would leave and somebody else would take over and do something interesting with it. And he kept saying, "Well, you know, this is my baby. I don't want anybody else taking over. I'll come back." And and he had actually mentioned at one point, I can't remember where, in between which movies it was, but he had said he wanted to do a smaller film in between the Transformers movies, and I think that would have really helped him in developing the rest of the series better to have done that smaller film and to kind of done something outside of that world instead of just doing Transformers movies for 15 years or however long he did it. I think, I don't remember if it was in between there. He did some movie with The Rock and and Mark Wahlberg called Pain and Gain or something like that. I think that was somewhere in there. And maybe that's how Mark Wahlberg got into these Transformer movies as well. But uh... What's a Transformer? <laughs> uh, he should do all his roles going forward in his Boston accent. That's it. 
Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, you pain, yeah, pain and gain, just kind of randomly in the middle there, huh? So he did kind of take a break, but you know. Then I was wrong. Except uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave Pain and Gain a fifty percent tomato rating. So, <laughs> although I guess was one of the reviews says it may be his most thought-provoking film to date, but Michael Bay's Pain and Gain ultimately loses its satirical edge in a stylized flurry of violent spectacles. Which is, I mean, it's it's funny because like I like a lot of Michael Bay's movies, and what he does, he does very well. Like he blows up stuff really well, but it's just, I just I feel like there's a way to balance blowing stuff up and having incredible action set pieces, but also having a story that a you can actually follow, and b is kind of interesting to watch, which is what made Bumblebee much more enjoyable for me than any of the Michael Bay Transformers movies for sure. I mean, I don't know, like, on a, on a whole, when it comes, I mean, when it comes to this one, I mean, like, I th- like, I thought this was a very good movie. I thought, outside of the Transformers franchise, I thought, in general, this is a good movie. I thought the people they picked to, you know, slot into these typical roles, Haley Steinfeld, I thought, did a really great job. She was a fantastic actress that they added in here. I think the only, the only one I had trouble with, I thought, was, like, I wish John Cena was a slightly better actor. I didn't find him... <laughs> like in, like I feel like he should have been more menacing at times and so I didn't quite love John Cena but at the same time I mean he kind of filled the role he was just kind of a meathead military guy and did his thing but I also thought it was kind of fascinating that the Decepticons tricked them all into working with them which is a different way of looking at things instead of them just being bad guys right off the bat they mix it up a little bit and the Decepticons tricked the army into working for them and that Bumblebee was the enemy. Of course, he couldn't tell me different because he couldn't speak, which is one of the right, few, we, one of the few through lines that carried through from the Bay films. Yeah, we finally get to the reason why Bumblebee couldn't speak, which is what what speaks to my, you know, they started this as a prequel to the Transformers movies that we got and, and then pivoted to starting a, a whole new franchise, but they kept that through line of Bumblebee losing his voice, uh, you know, whatever they call it, voice box or voice uh, module or something like that, and learning to speak through the radio, which is how we, we, we are introduced to him in the first Transformer movie. But I agree with you on John Cena. He he wasn't bad. He just kind of stood out against some of, you know, like Haley's performance and stuff like that. And there are a lot of other similarities, like Megan Fox's character wasn't a mechanic per se, but I, I believe they, she fixed uh, cars and stuff because her dad was a mechanic or something like that. And, you know, so Haley Steinfeld's Charlie is obviously something similar to that in fixing cars and stuff. Um, fixing, helping to fix Bumblebee, even though, well, I guess she fixed the radio and it makes you think of what during the transformation process, like they don't just transform their appearance. Like he actually has like, old VW Beetle parts. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, I mean, that's, you know, that kind of speaks to the line at the end where she's like, wait, you could have been this car the whole time and you were that beat up old bug. What are you doing? Oh, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for that. I, I didn't know if that would be like a mid credits or after credits scene. I, I knew that they had to show the transformation to a Camaro, that old Camaro at some point. And then we get the shot of him driving across the Golden Gate Bridge with, well, not with Optimus Prime, but with a truck Sure does look an awful lot like him. <laughs> looks like the, ins- the the truck that Optimus would have chosen to uh, transform into his Gen One form, and that really 
also speaks to the fact that the director was a fan of Transformers and and this and I really think this is a case of fan service being done in a way that isn't disruptive or isn't obnoxious like there's so many things you see in this movie so many little moments you know the Bumblebee playing the touch that was featured in the original film back in the late <laughs> 80s and just just little things here and there that the director knows is going to connect with people that really enjoyed the series from the 80s and that addressed a lot of the main problems people had with the Michael Bay movies. I think he did a really good job addressing all that stuff without being terribly obnoxious about it. You know, I mean, did you feel like it was too fan servicey or did you feel like it was enough? I mean, what, what did you feel about that element? No, I think, I think all of that was really well handled or, you know, just a function of good writing that it just kind of fell that way. You know, that some of these stories for transformers, like if you follow the characters and if you, you were a fan of, you know, the, the animated movie or the, the animated series in general, then maybe the way you write and the way you film this would have gone along those lines in, in any way, rather than being fan service. But in calling back on certain things, you know, uh, the, the movie is set in 1987 and the soundtrack like that, that, that just made me smile like almost the whole way through. Like there's just so much good stuff in there from, you know, the Smiths and Howard Jones and just Duran Duran and all that stuff. I think Haley Steinfeld sang a song for it, but I can't, obviously that wouldn't be from the eighties, but I, I can't, you know, pick it out from the movie now that I'm looking at it, you know, Steve Winwood, higher love. And it's all, all good stuff. I thought the soundtrack was phenomenal. I thought they did a great job making, feel of course, like when, sorry, you mentioned the touch, but when, when, <laughs> when that, when that popped up, it's just, you know, huge smile <laughs> it's like yes <laughs> see it's tricky though because i like like i thought the soundtrack work was phenomenal and i thought that obviously you have cars from the period and things like that but i i didn't feel like i was truly transported back to the 1980s in the way that say stranger things does like stranger things the whole show just feels like it takes place in the 80s there's a certain feel that i can't even qualify for example uh, you know, be you know that show, but obviously other movies that go back to time period, especially a time period that you and I are close to having grown up primarily in the eighties and nineties. Whereas, I mean, outside of the music, like I agree with you, the music was on point, especially considering Charlie's character and the kind of music she listened to and the music her her late father listened to. But. But like there was just a certain that was that was really one of the only things that stuck out to me is I didn't feel like it was comfortably set in the eighties as convincingly as I would have liked for it to have been. But you know that's just one of those little quibbles that you know because I really liked the movie and I really felt positively towards it. But it's just one of those things where I never felt like I was like you're watching Stranger Things. Every fiber of that movie is just the eighties. Like it just feels or the TV series, excuse me, is just the eighties. Whereas with this one, I didn't feel like it quite landed outside of the music, which is perfectly well done. Yeah, I guess I get what you're saying outside the music and, you know, obviously the you know, the cars, the vehicles and stuff like that are, are, are um, appropriate. But, uh, yeah, I guess it didn't, it didn't strike me, you know, as off, but I, I see what you're saying. I mean, it wasn't even that bad. It was just one of those things where yeah, I yeah. could... 
it, it just didn't I just didn't quite get as you know absorbed in it you know I, I never felt like lost in the 80s in the movie when I was watching it but like where do you think they should go from here like do you think this is the kind of situation where we should make a second Bumblebee movie that's also focused on Bumblebee or do you think we should use this as a jumping off point to actually transition into another Transformers series like what do you think makes more sense in this case I think going going into you know like a full-blown Transformers movie makes makes the most sense they kind of alluded to that at the end that uh you know you see you see a couple more of the uh I don't know what you want to call them the Transformers falling down from the sky meteor style at the end there um which is the change right the change from the original Transformer movie when it was only Bumblebee until like halfway through that movie but I think it would it would make more sense to to just go straight into Transformers nothing you know crazy like you know, <laughs> the original ones ended up as but they could conceivably do a good maybe back and forth Cybertron slash Earth story but I, I just you know I just want to see Optimus Prime and, <laughs> and you know Starscream and Soundwave and Megatron it's it's interesting they left out Megatron on this one because they were still trying to keep the continuity with the original Transformers, right? Because he was, you know, supposedly still on Earth, frozen in the ice. So that, that was interesting that they tried to keep that continuity. But um, yeah, just bring it on. I don't even know what they would do with another Bumblebee movie. Like, would he find someone else and without other... It could still be Bumblebee-centric, I guess, with extra Transformers, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. I think you're right. And then Optimus comes at the end and then sets it up for a third one. I don't know. I didn't realize that the Decepticon Shatter was voiced by Angela Bassett. Like in my mind, it was like that. That's I love that voice. That's great. She's amazing. And then I found, oh my god, that's why. <laughs> no, she she did a great job performing. And that was actually one of the things I. I don't know if you thought the same way, but I felt, I felt in Bay's movies outside of Optimus Prime the voice acting like anybody could have played any of those voices like the fact that they wasted hugo weaving as megatron in that first movie when all they did was just kind of bury his you know very distinctive very he's got a fantastic voice and they just buried his voice under so many effects and processing that it was just kind of a waste having something you could have cast me as megatron and then just dumped all that crap on top of it and it would have sounded fine and, you know, Michael Bay's whole thing was that he wouldn't use Frank Welker, who was the original voice of Megatron, because, you know, he sounded too old or sounded, he didn't sound right for the part. But then cast Hugo Weaving, and you could not in a million years tell that was Hugo Weaving the way that they did it. And so I thought that the way that they used both the way they cast and the way that they utilized the voice acting in this film, like, granted, like you said, there's far fewer Transformers in this movie. But even during that opening scene on Cybertron, I mean, all those characters sounded similar if not exactly the same as their original version Soundwave and shockwave they all sounded like them and obviously optimus prime who's you know if you cast anyone other than peter cullen you'd be better <laughs> you better have a damn good reason for it and so <laughs> you might um, as well not do a transformer movie no it's crazy it's anarchy but i mean and, and even the human actors i thought that the people that were doing the live action parts you know it's like i said john cena was a little weak but the folks that they got to portray the the, the human beings uh, against the Transformers also did 
a much better job. Like the, it's it's amazing if you just take a little bit of care and thought into casting and directing these people, as opposed to just directing action sequences that actors happen to interrupt in your movie, like Michael Bay seems to do. Yeah, and and again, like Michael Bay's done some great stuff. I've watched most of his movies and I've enjoyed most of his movies, but. If you look at these Transformers movies, I mean, it's just at a certain point, it's just metal slamming into metal, and it just, it just. I think, I think one of the best reviews I read was what was it? It was like, I think it was for Dark of the Moon, where somebody said, "It's like watching paint dry while having someone smack you in the face with a frying pan over and over again for two and a half hours." <laughs> and it really was like it was just you know. But just li- just little details of somebody like the creative team behind this movie, if you take the time to do enough of these little things, it really adds up into being... I mean, the, the movie, I don't know if financially, if this is a huge success. I mean, you're looking at... If you're looking at box office revenue, I mean, from the first film, like the first Transformers made like, you know, worldwide like 700 and then... I think it peaked with Dark of the Moon and then just dropped drastically up until last night. Bumblebee only made only made haha like 468 million, but it was a budget of 135. But critically and even from just regular viewers, they seem to regard it as one of the best, if not the best of that film series and so it'd be nice if they could go forward into and, and the, but then you got to be careful though, because I was reading that they have like this entire writer's room trying to develop spinoffs and prequels and sequels. And I'm already nervous when I start hearing stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I think this one has the highest, uh, to me, meter score, if I'm not mistaken, out of all of the transformers movies, which, uh, I mean, good for them. I didn't, I didn't think, I'd have to double check the tomato meter score from the first one, but I didn't think it would catch that. But, uh, let's, let's see here. All right, so here it is: the Rotten Tomatoes scores for these. You know what? It's much lower than I thought it was. The original Transformers only received a fifty-eight percent tomato meter rating, and Bumblebee is at ninety-one. Oh wow! And none of the other ones crack forty. In fact, only two three of them are 20 and under (laughs) oh my god like i'm all for movies that are driven by special effects and i'm all for action sequences and i'm all for spectacle but you really have to find a way to balance it out with storytelling and acting and direct like there's you, you can't just throw stuff at people and i mean sometimes i mean you know but again some there's always gonna be people that go see it but at the same time it's just, I mean, why even make these movies if you're just, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, why I always am not totally in on the, the tomato meter score is the, the cinema score, which is from actual audiences, right? All of them are B plus or, or better. Really? The cinema score, every single one. In fact, Dark of the Moon and Age of Extinction are, are both A's and A minus also. Age of Extinction? Really? And the last night, even that's very shocking, is also a B plus. I, I, I don't get that. Certainly, I don't get that one. Well, we just answered the question as to why they kept making them. It's not because for four straight movies, starting from Revenge of the Fallen, that Michael Bay was nominated for Worst Director Razzie and won two of them. <laughs> Revenge of the Fallen, Dark Moon, Age of Extinction, Last Night, all nominated. 
worst picture, worst director at the Raspberries, and and he won two of those, and the picture Revenge of the Fallen won for that one. And of course, ironically, as we mentioned before, the first three films got nominated for Academy Awards for sound mixing, editing, and visual effects, because the visual effects have never been less than top-notch, but it's just, God, at a certain point, it's just... I need more. I mean, at a certain point, I just need more. Or I'll just go back and watch the first one again, you know? Yeah. I mean, the effects, like you said, just like that first one, even though most of us fans were annoyed that they didn't have the right look to most of the Transformers, I mean, they changed them so drastically from actually looking like, you know, what Optimus should look like and stuff like that. But the action and the the way they transform on screen is just fantastic. Like you can almost see every part of the truck just kind of shift and transform and, and move into a certain place until we get Optimus so much so that they showed it every time that they transformed. (laughs) (laughs) No, I agree with you. I mean, it was, it was like the first time you saw a transformer transform in that first movie. It was, I, I thought the same thing as you where it's all these random moving parts. You wouldn't even consider like, shifting and changing was just it was such a fascinating thing to see and they did such a cool job with it but then again it's like okay i've seen that a bunch of times they kind of do that a little bit in in bumblebee where the two decepticons they're like they're they're triple changers which they don't really mention but they they show all the time because they showed every time when they went from the robot, they like would rent, go from robot to car and then immediately to their flying version or they would be flying. Uh, there's a helicopter and a, and a plane, right? And they would turn into the cars and then roll up to the, the humans and two seconds later turn into... <laughs> they would double change like within two seconds every time. Got to show, show off the special effects. Listen, if you got it, you may as well, you know, why not? Oh, and Dropkick just wanting to splatter human beings, like, constantly. <laughs> the first time when he killed that dude, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that even slightly. Like, I know that they blew people up in the other movies. They were blowing up tons of people, but I don't know. I don't remember them vaporizing anyone into a puddle of goo. <laughs> it reminded me of the beginning of Men in Black, where in, when they... Oh, that's right, it, yeah. Yeah, because it's just, like, just goo everywhere. <laughs> Can we talk about Memo for a second? What did you think of Memo? Yeah, I don't know. Like he's, you know, at first he's, you know, you know he's going to end up being part of the movie, but at first he comes across as, you know, he's just going to be kind of the guy that's get trying to get Charlie's attention for a while, and then maybe who knows if that'll actually happen. I mean, obviously she needs some help, and 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 he makes the most sense. But he like at some point he gets blown up almost, and it it seems like he should have died, but and he's still he, they show like at the end. He's got like a huge gash in his arm, and but he's still kind of walking around. Obviously, he's he's the uh, uh, the comic relief for for part of this. But then there, are, which you know, hit sometimes for me and and not others. But then the other times where like they're showing his room when she finally goes and sees him in his house, like and he's got like the Star Trek stuff, and he's got like the thing, and I'm like, oh oh, he's he's almost like me. <laughs> You know, can't really can't really talk to the girl in high school and, and kind of nerdy. Justin, okay, I see, you I are see, the comic relief in someone's I, life, Justin. In everybody's life that I'm involved. Oh my god! <laughs> I felt the same way. Some of his stuff landed, some of it didn't. I thought that 
thought they did more of a realistic job with him in that he didn't suddenly become her boyfriend. And, you know, at the end, she gives him a kiss in the cheek and he was all excited. And she's like, nope, it was just a kiss in the cheek, buddy. And so it wasn't totally unrealistic. And it wasn't like he, you know, even the scene where he's trying to stop all the cars and they just drive around him and he's like, oh, that didn't work. Yeah. And then there's a, I think at the very end when they're standing there and he tries to hold her hand and he's like, no, no, we're not not there yet. (laughs) Which is a little bit more realistic, which I liked. He said, talking about a movie about transforming robots. (laughs) I'm all about the realism in the Transformers movies. Yes. I did also enjoy, speaking of humor, the near collision with all the cars around Charlie's family. They all almost slammed into them and just didn't. And that's just one of those situations where it was its a nice balance between the humor and the action in the movie where it was just, it made perfect sense that it happened that way. But especially they had the kid in the backseat with no seatbelt on and I was just waiting for somebody to get crushed and it just it didn't quite happen. But it was, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, so funny. Yeah, definitely. I think they even, I think the, not the dad, but the boyfriend, the the future stepdad mentioned something about, or maybe the mother mentions we should get a car with, with seatbelts or something like that. Very, yep. very 80s. That was pretty 80s, yeah. But yeah, that, that, I, that, I remember that, that, st- that stuck out to me too when I was like, oh, are they going cra- to <laughs> crash into the family? And then the kid pukes because he was kind of on the way to puking in most of the, most of the, the drive. It's a little rough. It was a rough drive being in the back. But yeah, I mean, in general, I think that this film series needed a movie like this and needed a smaller scale reintroduction of these characters and the world of Transformers. And I think that wherever they go from here, whether it's continuing on to a full-fledged Transformers show, uh, excuse me, movie series, or more prequels or more sequels or different, you know, just going straight to Cybertron for a movie, whatever it is, I think that this sets a really good foundation. I think that if they want to continue to be successful and make movies like this that actually land with audiences and critics and you know make a decent amount of money i think and you know also making the fans happy or bringing new fans in while also you know you've got this built up built-in fan base that have been watching these movies for years or you know the cartoon the toys i mean everything they've you know it's part of their childhood it connects with people if they're smart and they can actually continue this trend of working with quality writers and directors and actors and, you know, keeping the effects top notch, which they always have been. Then I think, I think it was definitely a successful reboot slash prequel slash whatever they're calling this. <laughs> <laughs> Soft reboot, I guess. I don't know. Soft reboot, hard reboot. It's just a lot of categories, whatever they call it. They, yeah, they can continue. We, we give them permission to continue. <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's golden. That's that's basically that's the endorsement they should be looking for. Is the movies never say die, guys? Yeah. Once once we get on a a trailer, a review trailer, and they pop us up there as giving our our take. <laughs> <laughs> movies never say die. Says good idea. It was good. Ah. All right, that leads us to our final segment we call the Reboot Wishlist, where we take a look at our ideas for reboots or sequels that we would like to see sometime in the near or distant future. Justin, what is on your Reboot Wishlist this episode? This episode, I have one. I've been thinking about it for a while. I caught 
the last movie didn't catch it i watched it on disney plus i chose to watch it it wasn't on and i just caught it i chose to watch it <laughs> it doesn't happen like a with a streaming TV on demand watcher. service yeah <laughs> right nice try though sorry listeners i was lying <laughs> I, made, I made a conscious effort to watch this movie a couple weeks back <laughs> and and that movie was anyway can any guesses from the audience sorry <laughs> Email us at MoviesNeverSayDie.com with your guesses. Or Quickly, so we can finish this episode. <laughs> hurry! Hurry! Um, Tron Legacy. Ah! I, I did a rewatch of this, and I still found it so good, really, honestly. And and especially visually, like, absolutely ridiculously good-looking movie. And this is what I want. I want a continuation. I don't want a reboot. I want another sequel. <laughs> In the, uh, in the Tron movie franchise. What do you think? Totally agree. I loved it. From the second they released that little teaser video with Jeff Bridges looking all old and sage-like, and I was 100%. I loved Tron when I was a kid, the first film, and I thought the second one was really well done. I was really bummed out when it wasn't as successful and they scrapped plans to move forward with it. And so, yeah, I totally agree. I thought that the look of the film was fantastic I enjoyed the plot I thought the it's a shame because now with the de-aging technology I wish that they'd have an opportunity to make that you know the younger Jeff Bridges look a little cleaner but outside of that I thought it was oh, I loved Tron Legacy I, I introduced it to my oldest kid and he's watched it a bunch of times and I always, cool. I always enjoy seeing it. I would definitely want to see that series and world continue for sure yeah I mean it wasn't even like we were talking about Bumblebee's, you know, budget and box office, Tron Legacy, I guess, cost a little bit more, around $170 million, but it did do over $400 million at the box office, so it wasn't, like, a failure or anything, so I'm, I'm really confused. I think they they had talked about sequels, you know, in the time since it was released, but I don't know why. I mean, I don't think it got great reviews, but then, you know, that doesn't really stop Hollywood from making sequels, but... <laughs> This is one that we should have gotten, and I think it's one that we should get. I'm always fascinated by that. I don't... I mean, obviously, we're not privy to what goes on behind closed doors, but sometimes I'll see films that seem like absolute flops and aren't deserving of a sequel, and you get one, and then I'll see something like this. I don't see it as being a failure, and they're like, well, it's a failure. It's like, well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I would love to see... They take Olivia Wilde's character, which was, you know, a sentient being from the grid and bring her to you know the real world and it would be interesting to kind of see how that goes uh going forward i mean you know jeff bridges character uh sacrifices himself at the end so i guess we're not we won't be doing that but just visually alone i just want to go back into that world it just was so cool looking i agree it's awesome i'm in now what about you what what do you bring into the table this this time for our wish list First up, I want to reach back to last episode for a moment and let you know that immediately after we record the last episode, I went back and watched Explorers. Loved it. Fantastic movie. Had such a great time. I wa- Oh, so great. Total nostalgia fest. Had a blast. And in addition, I went out and found a beat-up, tattered copy of Immortality, Inc., which was the basis for Free Jack, which was my wishlist item last mm-hmm. time. And I've started reading the book. Nothing like the movie Free Jack. There's, there's very little, even remote. You talk about loosely based. 
an interesting, like, pulpy sci-fi novel. I don't know who the hell found this and how, but very incredibly, tremendously loosely based <laughs> on this book, which I find, I mean, you know, still an interesting book, but nothing even remotely like Free Jack. Yeah, so I, I so that, that that's that's the the through line from the last episode. But much like you, I was on Disney Plus and did not accidentally watch this movie recently. <laughs> <laughs> I made a conscious decision. The last, last two thirds of it while it was <laughs> Who is randomly streaming this film on my TV? <laughs> uh, so it's 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 in this is obviously the same wheelhouse, Disney. And we were talking about... I was going back and forth between a couple Disney properties, but I decided to look back at a weird, dark, strange little movie from back in the day called The Black Hole. It's a Disney movie, The Black Hole. The Black Hole. A spaceship is on its way back to Earth when it discovers another ship that had been assumed missing, and they go back on the ship and meet the doctor and this weird faceless army and they they want to be the first people to explore a black hole it's a very creepy movie especially for disney it was a very weird movie filled with robots and strange late 70s trippy sci-fi psychedelic stuff and so yeah i i I would love to see what a modern day take on this strange late 70s disney property would look like I don't think I've seen it. I know exactly what you're talking about, of course. I think it's one of those movies that even if you haven't seen it, you've, you've certainly seen something of it or, or heard of it. If you're born in the, in, the, in the right time. I mean, this this is, like you said, 1979. I'm seeing here, you say it's a weird movie for Disney. This was apparently the first Walt Disney Productions to receive a PG rating. Oh, interesting. I guess, okay. every, I guess everything before that was G, which we don't even get anymore. <laughs> Is that even an official rating anymore? Because even you know Pixar movies and Disney movies are not even G anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. It's tough to find a G-rated movie. Straight that's funny. G. Yeah, I mean, who? So who was in this movie? Um, I think the only person that's in it that was really well known was Maximilian Schell. Oh, Anthony Perkins was in it too. Anthony Perkins, Maximilian Schell, Robert Forster. So yeah, a bunch of people that were Ernest Borgnine, Roddy Ernest McDowell. Ernest Borgnine. Yeah, there we go. Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens. I think he did. Did he do the That's voice, the voice of, the of robots, whatever? Maybe yeah. Okay. So yeah, so a bunch of people that you know, varying degrees of celebrity, but certainly people we've heard of. Yeah, it's it's such a weird movie. It's such a strange little movie. So yeah, that's it. That's what I want to see. I want to see a modern day take on the first PG Disney movie, The Black <laughs> Hole. Yeah, I mean, I'm always down for a uh, science fictiony type thing like that. And maybe if it's on Disney Plus one of these days, I'll, I'll catch it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it. It does kind of ruin the idea. When you've got all these streaming services, it's rare you catch something. You're scrolling through and you happen to see it. And you're like, oh, look what I happen to find. I mean, I still, even while I'm watching stuff, I still, even though it's been you know years and years since streaming has been a thing, I still, when I'm watching something, look at the clock and think, oh, it's almost half past or it's almost the hour. It should be over soon or, you know, stuff like that. And... Obviously, that's useless. <laughs> and I don't, even, I don't even remember the last time I watched a TV show. I mean, we got so much stuff in my DVR, but I don't remember the last time I watched something actually at 8 o'clock or whatever was supposed to start. I don't even know. Like, I don't even know when TV shows are on anymore. <laughs> Every now and then, like, something will show up. I'm like, oh, Better Call Saul just recorded. It must be on Mondays. Yeah, it's less and less watching stuff that actually is when it's aired. It's overrated. It's <laughs> overrated. <laughs> 
you know I I, I watched uh, and finished Picard. Oh, did you I, watch I did the whole that, thing? How was it? I did that that thirty day. Uh, oh, the trial. Oh, nice. Now, now, now I'm wondering when I started that because I got to pay attention and cancel it. But uh, <laughs> hopefully they sent me a reminder email. <laughs> they will not. But uh, it's good. It's really good. I have some issues with it, but overall, it's it's really good. Except that he's a Klingon. No, I'm just kidding. No, Picard! The Black Hole was nominated for two Academy Awards, Cinematography and Visual Effects. Obviously. You only like movies that were nominated for Academy Awards. Yeah, I don't do any non-Academy films. Oh, it was released on Blu-ray for the first time last year as a Disney Movie Club exclusive. Oh, okay. On Wikipedia, it says... In November 2009, it was reported that Disney had plans to remake The Black Hole. Joseph Kaczynski, who directed Tron Legacy, what? was attached to production. Oh, we are in sync, Justy. We are in sync. That is ridiculous. That's hilarious. I mean, no longer, it seems, but he was... <laughs> we, we, we were in sync for today. Oh, that is that. too funny. That is cool. Now it says March of 2018, Emily Carmichael has been uh, tapped to write it. So, well, it's in the works somewhere. Oh, is she, and, and she wrote Jurassic World Dominion, Justin. <laughs> oh. Everything's connected. There's only eight people working in Hollywood. <laughs> yes. And none of them are us. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, when there's only eight, that's tough to break in. That's true. Maybe if they ever get to double digits, we'll be on the list. We'll, we'll, we'll round out to ten. We're, we're on the long list. And on that note, we cue the music. All right, that does it for this episode of Movies Never Say Die. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We'd also appreciate it if you take your moment and leave a review for us on your preferred podcasting app. It does help us reach new listeners. And also, if you want to get in touch with us for any reason, we'd love some feedback. Maybe make a suggestion for a movie reboot sequel for us to take a look at, or uh, a reboot wish list, maybe, that we uh, haven't thought of yet. You can email us at moviesneversaydie at gmail.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at moviesneversaydie. And of course, you can hit us up on Twitter at moviesnvrsaydie. I am Justin St. Ange. And I'm Matthew Grant. Thanks for downloading. I'm Batman. I freeze. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman ing. I never had to say I'm Batman. I showed up. People knew I was Batman. You like movies? Hundreds of movies. 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 Never say die!